Okay, welcome to the latest episode of EdTech Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. I'm glad you found us. Today with me, David Blake, co-founder and CEO of Learnin, uh, as well as the co-founder and founding CEO at Degreet. David, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. It's good to be with you. Uh, many different reasons I wanted to have you on the show. One of which, though, is it's actually kind of near and dear to my heart, is this this topic of upskilling and um, you know, kind of getting beyond K twelve and higher ed, which has obviously been a major focus uh, when it comes to the ed tech response to the pandemic and how to fix those things. But the idea of professional learning uh, is something that I, I have seen kind of come to the forefront as a result of those massive layoffs that happened last year. Uh, and the continuing, you know, attempts to hire people and, and move people, but also educate people around. I myself, because it's all about me, David, uh, was laid off last March after 12 years at uh, Tech and Learning Magazine, where I was started out as an ink stained wretch, where I just wrote in actual physical magazines, and then we moved over to the web. Um, but we also had in-person events, which obviously just went right out the window last March, which meant I went out the window too, uh, but got ma uh, matched up with our hosts here, Market Scale, who said, well, look, we'll teach you how to, we'll teach you how to podcast. And uh, that was something that was new and that was something different, uh, but went through and as an, I guess, an old guy over 50, was a little hesitant at first and didn't know much about podcasting, but now I know all about it. And it's really kind of, giving me a fresh look at my own career and, and the way, yeah. I, way I look at things. So talk a little bit about, you know, that, I mean, that's been your life's work, right? Yeah. With both Degreed and Learn In. Talk a little bit about where you came to this place. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear uh, getting laid off is, um, you know, just uh, can really take sort of the, the ground out from under you. And, um, you know, so happy to hear you know, how you've been able to reskill and sort of, you know, reposition the next chapter in, in your career, you know, and I think that's, you know, now we have to do that times 90 million you know, is where yeah. we are. I mean, that yeah. is the truth. And so depending on World Economic Forum or McKinsey or PwC or Deloitte's number, like it's roughly about 90 million Americans are at risk of sort of displacement in their work uh, if they don't up or, or sort of reskill in the next two to three years. And there are very human costs, um, you know, to that truth. I mean, uh, and we're seeing a really different labor market, but it, it's it's a manifestation and certainly, you know, catalyzed by COVID, but it's manifestation of, of the same truth, which is there's a growing skills gap. And so we see, you know, right now in the labor market, like I just took my kids to get ice cream over the weekend and went to the ice cream store and they had a sign that said, we are hiring for literally everything. They were like, you know, cleaning, scooping, tax, like, uh, you know, I mean, I've been to numerous restaurants now where there's signs on the door where it's like, you know, we appreciate, we appreciate your patience. We have one cook, you know, in the back. Um, it's wild. And so we have this right now, this like massive, um, we, we still have quite high unemployment in this moment, but we have this labor shortage happening at the exact same time, you know, and how, how can that possibly even be true? And the reason it's true is because, you know, those who are unemployed uh, don't have the skills that map back to sort of the, you know, where the, the labor shortage, you know, is um, in part. Um, 
And so, you know, upskilling is just going to be such an important part of, of all of our careers, all of our lives, all of our, our children, and then sort of the next generation. I mean, it's just going to um, be such an important part. You know, and the thesis of my career, this work with degree, the work with learning, it really can be summarized by the rate at which technology is scaling is outpacing the rate at which humans can learn. And that is creating this ever-growing skills gap. And we're just kind of in this race now to do everything we can to get as many people across the skills gap, the, this chasm, as we can. And, and again, the consequences, I believe, are very human. Um, that sort of the, the skilled will have ever more. Um, the, the premium for skills is going up. Um, and the unskilled will increasingly have ever less and sort of the, the skills gap is getting bigger, not smaller and, and sort of the what it takes to get someone across it, I think, is going to get harder, you know, ever harder. Um, John Fuller, who's a HBS professor and, and leads the Their Future of Work podcast and newsletter. Um, this sounds there's like these things that sound so intuitive and yet are fundamental, fundamentally radical shifts. And he said, um, you know, the prerequisite to employment is employment. And, you know, we're getting to this place where if you, if you aren't participating in the labor market, if you aren't learning, if you aren't, you know, sort of have forward movement in your skill development, essentially you're getting to where you're unemployable, mm. you know, like the, the requisite of participation in the workforce in the future is going to be sort of constant employment and constant learning. And it's going to be really hard to ever you know, accommodate a period where you aren't learning, where you aren't skilling. The other like just um, thing that sounds so intuitive yet is a fundamental radical shift is that um, skills right now correlate with wage gain. And like, oh, well, of course, you know, you have more skills, you're going to make more money. Of course, that's true. But it's a radical shift because that didn't actually used to be true. You know, mm -hmm. America's backbone was built by middle, a, a low to medium skilled middle class. And for a long time, um, you know, wages didn't actually have an especially strong correlation with your with like earning potential. You know, there were high paying, low skilled jobs in America. And we've just gotten to an economy where increasingly that's no longer true, you know, but that's a radical shift. Like yeah. we have to appreciate that is a radical shift. Now, when we talk about using your platform to have this idea of a sabbatical or, you know, a professional learning that's going on, what is the content? I mean, I get confused because sometimes it seems to me that a lot of it has to do with just pure technical competence, right? Uh, a latest learning management system or, or a project management system that a company might be implementing that, 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 that a new employee who's being onboarded has to learn. Um, it could be just, just new tools that you would use as an information worker. I mean, just kind of a practical sure. element of it. How much of it do you see as practical and how much do you mm -hmm. see of it as more of, a, more, of a, more of an esoteric sort of thing or something in, in, in terms of the way a company executes its mission or has different theories on um, the way they do their work. How much is practical and how much is theoretical? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're trying to be a, a, a very practical, get people into short form, very targeted skill-based programming where, you know, uh, today you don't have the skill, three months from now you do have a skill. Today you can't do that job, three months from now you can do that job. You know, we really are trying to um, arbitrage 
uh, skill advancement and skill mobility, like, you know, up-leveling people in their careers, um, which is very tactical and very practical. Now, LearnIn um, is an enterprise offering, and uh, but it can help individuals. So we've brought a marketplace of these skill-based programs, um, you know, that their employer can open up to the employee base. And so that's uh, new. Typically, you know, the LMS was all about knowledge dissemination, um, but it was never really fundamentally about upskilling, you know, and so we're kind of adding this upskilling layer to the foundation that organizations have in terms of their, their LMS and knowledge um, mm. attainment. Um, and then we help companies so they can either open up the programs as sort of a marketplace to individual employees and help show how they, which programs they're willing to subsidize, what skills they're willing to subsidize with time and money. Um, and then we also help organizations just do this at scale with teams. And so we can actually step in and facilitate upskilling at scale. We're not the training provider. We still take people through external programs or an internal training, but we provide sort of the, all the support that's needed to take people on that journey of upskilling. Um, so very practical, you know, you have, you know, these four skills today, you need these seven skills tomorrow. Like we're going to help you get from here to there in three months, you know, with the best program, lowest cost with the support of your employer, you know, and, and personal coaching and support along the way. Yeah. How much has the, uh, the pandemic changed um, your strategy in terms of development of technologies? I mean, has, as we sit here on Zoom, uh, which I wouldn't have done this time last year, is there much more synchronous uh, aspects to maybe some of the strategies than there were BP before the pandemic? Talk a little bit about how you've had to pivot during this, uh, this craziness. Yeah, well, you know, the two biggest barriers to um, upskilling are time and money. And so we, we had focused in on that problem. How are we going to help organizations give more time? You know, well, they, they need to do so with accountability. We, they need to see the ROI. They need to see the business case. And so we started creating from the ground up the tooling to do that. Um, you know, as we started, we started just before COVID hit. And so we were in this exceptionally tight labor market. And then all of a sudden when COVID hit, there was all this excess really in the labor market for, you know, um, a good moment. And so, you know, we really had to shift, which was, hey, all of a sudden you have excess capacity and a lot of organizations were considering layoffs or furloughs you know, and our message to the market really became, well, you know, you can avoid the whipsaw and the inefficiency of layoffs or furloughs, take this excess time capacity inside your organization to upskill, you know, and so it's good for the employee. It's good for your organization. You'll, you'll increase development and capacity and, and skills inside the organization and um, upskilling right now has a massive ROI, you know, so to any organization who can you know, whether the immediacy of, you know, the, the, the cash crunch or, or whatever, you know, hit their business, like this will be an ROI positive payoff. Mm -hmm. So if you can, if you can think with that time horizon, if you can manage to that time horizon, this is actually a very rare opportunity, you know, to mobilize and upskill, you know, portions of your workforce. Um, now, I think the truth is, we saw very little of that. You know, there was whipsaw in the market. There were layoffs, there were furloughs, you know, there was just kind of this, this whipsawing. And I, you know, I think we've, we've already passed far enough, uh, 
to think is it's a missed opportunity. I mean, it's um, we are now in a labor shortage, and um, you know, and we can't have that time back. And I've heard many stories just here, and and I'm in Salt Lake City, so the local economy, you know, startups and established companies alike who laid people off in you know March and April and hired them back in August, you know, and typically not the same people. I mean, like once someone got laid off, it's you know. That's just, that's turnover and churn uh, that was, you know, um, perhaps could have been avoided for some of those companies. Yeah, because there's a there's an emotional component to it as well, as if you lay a person off and <laughs> try to rehire them. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about um, the size of a company and whether that is dependent upon th- these sort of services and products, you know, from a small, medium business versus, I mean, you mentioned enterprise solutions I get this uh, picture in my mind of thousands of employees and going through certain human resource uh, procedures that a smaller company might not have. Is this something that is beneficial for, for all size? Yeah, I mean, the opportunity with, with small, medium-sized businesses, you truly can't leapfrog. You know? And so um, in contrast, the big organizations typically have like established tuition reimbursement, tuition assistance programs that can help finance some of this. You know, they have policies, they have probably some university partnerships, you know, that they've partnered with the local, you know, uni to send people to, um, you know, their, their training programs probably have, you know, pretty decent legacy nature to them. And, you know, so if you're an S sort of a smaller, medium-sized business, you know, just leapfrog that, mm. you, know, you don't have to kind of use the old thinking, the old ways. There's so many new age programs that are shorter, better aligned, skills-based, more cost-effective, you know, much lower price tag. Don't ever, you know, don't create a tuition assistance program that sends people off to get college degrees. Don't. Like, I've spent my career swimming around this issue. I mean, like, universities, we can save it for another time, the the good and bad of, of kind of the university model. But the truth is, pound for pound, it's the most expensive way to educate anyone and it's typically broad-based education and that's great for some things but as an employer typically both the you know the company and the employee are better served if you say look what goal do you have next in your career inside our organization what needs do we have and oh by the way you know if you can pivot yourself into you know data analytics we can give you you know this revenue ops job that pays twenty five thousand dollars a year more let us you know send you to a $4,000, you know, certificate program, let let us give you a $25,000 raise, you win, we win, you know, you're higher engaged, you're retained for longer, you're serving a higher impact need inside the organization. I mean, it's just, right now, the ROI is so high. It's just, um, that can't be um, reinforced enough. The ROI is so high on upskilling that, you know, companies should be arbitraging uh, massive upskilling initiatives. They should be arbitraging this value away, you know, but they typically still aren't, um, you know, which is just such a, such a loss because it's so massively ROI positive. It's good for the individual. It's good for the company. It's good for retention. It's good for productivity. You know, it can just pay for itself so quickly. Um, but we aren't seeing companies, you know, do it at scale. Um, and why, do you, why do you think that is? I mean, that's just something that's, that's cultural. That's still something that, uh, and even because of all this upheaval, hasn't um, become apparent to, to executives? Or Yeah, I mean, there, there are some actual, I think, real reasons as to why. And I'd say that maybe the, the most prominent of which is um, managing time horizons. 
So it's ROI positive, but you don't get the ROI, you know, in a day you have yeah. to, you have to, you know, mobilize the person into a new, so you have to upscale them and then you have to put them in the role. And then it takes time in the role to sort of pay back, um, you know, those cost savings and it's paid in productivity and retention and, and sort of other things. Um, and companies actually just really aren't good at, because of how we think of um, our human capital as an expense, like we, we really just don't have the accounting to effectively amortize training over, you know, a period of time, which means it's always just considered, it's always just considered a cost. It's never considered like an investment that can be essentially amortized. Um, and so the math just never quite works. And the time horizon is long enough that, you know, uh, uh, against the pressures of today and the cost savings of today and, you know, closing the books at the end of the month and the end of the quarter, it just always works against it. And yeah. it's just one of these like great lies that exists in the market. And we all kind of know it or, or just like great. It's almost like there's this truth that's staring all of us in the face and we choose to ignore it and, and tell each other these lies and operate around these sort of like untruths. And, you know, at a company, um, I'm very close to, you know, just had the anecdote of, um, you know, right now it's a really competitive market for skilled talent and wages have been getting pushed up. And so it's an environment where like current employees are getting paid less than new employees, you know, because if you're an old employee, you're getting paid on last year's skill matrix, you know, or, or wage matrix or however, you know, internal compensation structures were done, but you're on a legacy structure you know, and then companies to be competitive in today's market had to bring wages up for the new hires, you know? So it's like, you know, you can be like, Hey, you just hired that employee. We're doing the same job. They're making 35 K more than I am. Like, can I get a raise? And the answer tends to be like, no, you know, it's like, well, can you invest in my training? No. Can, you know, you give me a mobility plan? No. Well, you know, it's like the only way to get, um, you know, what, what maybe you, uh, deserve is to quit and get rehired. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like the irony of it. We just, you that's know, an old, just, that's an old trope I've, that I've always heard, right. You got to move out to move up. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, we're, we're complicit and just like, we all know it. Like we all know it. Um, and I think, you know, it's not like shame on shame on you and shame on the market. And like, like, I don't actually think that works. You know, I mean, just I'm, I'm a, whatever, I'm, I'm a, I'm a millennial who came up through, you know, the transition of Napster to iTunes and like, you know, shaming a generation for downloading their music on Napster, like didn't do anything. It's not like we all, you know, uh, as soon as someone structurally gave us a way to do it, you know, legitimately, you know, and easier, the market sorted itself out. And I think, you know, that's what we hope to do with LearnIn, which is like, look, we like, we, we all know that this is kind of the market environment and we all know we need to be doing better. We know that, you know, upskilling is, is just a win. We know that sort of these incentives work against companies and leaning into it. And so we, we just need to, we need to actually solve, we need to solve for it. And so, you know, LearnIn from the ground up is giving companies the transparency of the business case of, you know, in precision tooling, you know, because it's, companies have been very hesitant. So we know we need to upscale more, but we're not going to just throw the doors open. All right. We'll give everyone a $10,000 upscaling budget to learn what, you know, and what do we give for the money and who's going to use it? And are they using it for stuff we care about? Mm -hmm. 
like they're not just going to throw their doors open. Like we just can't expect that of the market of any employer. They're not just going to be like, oh yeah, upskilling sounds great. Let's do more of it here. Everyone, 10K. Like companies need, all right, we are willing to subsidize seven people to become data scientists because that's how many open headcount we have. Here are the audiences we think are most adjacent. If you know, you, you audiences, here is $7,000 and some time. Let's see who self-selects into this. Mm. You know, meanwhile, let's subsidize you know, Salesforce administration up to $1,500 to these audiences, you know, like they've, they've needed tooling and then they need accountability and transparency. So they can just establish the business case, you know, like, look, we spent, we spent $65,000 on upskilling people in sales analytics last year. We were able to mobilize 15 people into sort of, you know, sales development, sales um, jobs, revenue operations jobs, you know, and have the math like, you know, in real time of that, uh, you know, we have, we have more retention across this audience by 30%. That is worth $150,000 to us. We were able to avoid hiring externally these seven roles. That's a cost savings of us of $150,000 for $65,000 in upskilling. We, you know, saw a material um, benefit of $300,000, you know, for sort of a, you know, a five X ROI on mm -hmm. every dollar we spent. So it, it's really going to come down to um, running the numbers for for this to become kind of a, a an acceptable cultural phenomenon of, of of retaining workers, training them to get to a higher level. Uh, once once the bean counters can see the, that return, then it becomes a legitimate expense. I think so. Yeah. Well, give me uh, the handicap the space for me. What is it going to be uh, over under uh, three years? I mean, do you, are you sensing an acceleration anyway because of the pandemic or for, for any other reasons? Or I mean, are you sensing that, that this is something that w should eventually become mass acceptance? I think, um, yeah. So like the on-demand asynchronous sort of learning economy took sort of five to seven years to really establish. If you look at the arc of like Linda and Pluralsight and the MOOCs and, and sort of um, degreed in the LXPs. Um, I think we're at the very front door of another kind of five to seven year arc, which is it's going to be increasingly less about knowledge. The last five to seven years was learning and knowledge. Now it's about upskilling and that's more intensive. We're gonna see things get more cohorted. Actually, it's gonna move back to synchronous, um, you know, facilitated subject matter experts sort of support um, I think, uh, you know, one of the things I really believe is that like, we used to have this model, you were a full-time learner and then a full-time worker. And mm -hmm. then we kind of introduced like the part-time student. And then we introduced executive education. Like, I just think the market's gonna, uh, the pressure is going to make it meet in the middle where mm -hmm. eventually we are, we are hybrid learner workers over the entirety of our lives, um, or adult lives. Um, and I think that will happen inside the next five to seven years. I mean, I think we'll get to the point where essentially everyone has some more structured learning as a part of their calendar year in a way that, you know, we, we wouldn't quite recognize today, you know, five years from now, inside five years. So we'll all be taking a class, right? Yeah, that's, all that's, the time. that's that cocktail party. Yeah, I'm taking a class. So, but everyone should just like you read, read books like you're yeah, yeah you're just gonna yeah. you know what class you know like we'll get on and then a little icebreaker what class are you in right 
right. and everyone will share because right. we're all going to be in classes like we are. That's yeah. that's our fear. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, David, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I knew the toughest part of this conversation would be to end it. We can we could go on for a while, but uh, a lot of good stuff in there, a lot of stuff to unpack. Um, I think a lot of good stuff. It's, it feels like there's a lot of positive energy when it comes to the use of these uh, these technologies and services. And I appreciate the work that you guys are doing at Learn In and uh, look forward to following your progress. Hey, I really appreciate it, Kevin. Okay, and thanks everybody for watching this episode. Be sure to click around and find another one soon.